certainly we welcome those out there online. We're glad you're here. Uh, supernatural response. Say that with me. Supernatural response. Say it again. Supernatural response. You see, that's what God is into, is supernatural response. When I say to you that God is sovereign, what does that mean when I say that? Well, think about it. Now that you've had time to think about it, let me add to that. It means that there is no higher authority or power. In other words, that God stands alone and needs no one, no thing in order to function. He is all power, all knowledge. He is sovereign. And there is nothing that can take that sovereignty away. He stands independent of himself. Imagine the kind of power to speak the world into existence. I would think quite well that anyone that could speak the world into existence ought to be able to take care of you and me. Somebody say amen. Now listen carefully. I have missed you for months. I haven't heard any amens out there for months. So I'm amen hungry. And there's one guy that was really hungry. He said, I'm amen hungry. So every once in a while, if you don't mind, just kind of raise that voice and say hallelujah. And some of you might even say praise the Lord. And those of you online, you can say it where you are at. He's self-sustained and he rules. So how many happen to be a king's kid? Would you raise your hand? You know that your name's written down. Now, everything that God is, you are. Everything that God has, you are. So think with me for a moment that when life throws you a curveball and, and when results come back that are not positive, do you remember that the God who created you, who has given you purpose, is a sovereign God? Now, when the old devil kind of fell out of favor with God, he was a fallen angel, but he didn't keep his beauty. God commissioned him to be a, a lowly snake. And the Bible says that God created all things, meaning as a sovereign God, everything and heaven and earth are subject to him, even Lucifer himself. Nothing moves without God's knowledge. Your small child falls and skins that knee. Nothing moves without knowledge. I can tell you, your boss man says we're going to cut your, nothing happens without his knowledge. And we also know that though Jesus died, that was God's son, he came forth out of the grave to rule victoriously over Satan and now including death. And God through, this is the God we serve, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through Jesus Christ, defeated all the enemies and all the powers that the devil has ever had or ever will have. Already defeated by the grace of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says you can put the enemy under your foot. There is one thing, though, that still exists. It's called S-I-N sin. It's the only thing left that, that seems to be able to tempt us and get our attention. But God has given us power over sin, given us power to live a holy life. But we know that this fleshly body that we live in, this temple that is Almighty God, clothed in that body of flesh, 
thirst sometimes after the temptation of sin. But listen carefully. As a result of that, the only way Satan can tempt us, causing us to cave or to weaken us in our faith, is attacking the vulnerable part of our physical being. Now, we have a physical body. We have an emotional system. How many of you by raised hand are emotionally stable tonight? That's good. Just tonight. We also have a mind. That means we have intellect. We have the ability to think no matter if someone asks us just today if you've lost your mind. We know the enemy can attack there. He attacks that emotion. He attacks the imagination. And when that happens, we often wonder why, especially if we are faithful serving the Lord. Where does it come from? Out of nowhere, the enemy shows up and said, buddy, I, I'm showing up tonight to give you a fit, to give you a run from your money. And may I remind you, there are only two factors that we have to deal with. Two, it is our soul and our spirit that belongs to God. And the other is our body and our flesh, in which God says, keep that by the power of God under subjection. And when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, the minute that you say, Lord, come in, here's what happens. Satan has lost his grip on your life. Now think with me for a moment how you have responded to the plethora of problems that might have plagued you lately. How have you responded to all the things that are happening, what you see on television that might disturb you and upset you? How do you think it happens when you hear clovid, 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 clovid? Does it make you afraid? Does it bring fear? And God says this, if you believe I am a sovereign God, put your trust in me. I have everything under control. If you believe that, you will manage life a little differently than you have in the past. You see, the enemy may attack us, but he cannot destroy us. Jesus tells Peter in Luke 22, he said, Satan is desired to wreck your life, to sift you like wheat. But I prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. Peter, my hand is here and you're in it. And the enemy would like to jump up and get it. But every time he jumps, I raise you just a little bit higher. Well, here it is. What was the thing that was most important in that scripture in Peter's life? It was, but your faith may not fail his faith my faith is on and in jesus christ now i'm going to use job for a moment for an example i'm hearing a few amens over here not hearing much over here <laughs> test prove god in you say that with me test prove God in you. Say it louder. Test, prove God in you. Test, prove God in you. Job 1, here it is. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. He's got an audience with God because God has held Job up as an example. 
And we know the story of Job, a godly man. He hated evil. He had worldwide influence. He talked with God every day. And God held him up to Satan and said, here's a testimony of grace and mercy and love. And Satan's reply was simple. Why, Job has no reason not to love you. You've never taken him out for a test run. You've never exposed him to what I can do in his life. You keep him covered by a shield and a screen, and I can't get my hands on him. Hey, why don't we find out if Job can really stand the test? And you know what? That's the beckoning call of the enemy against us every day. Hey, you know what? When is the last time God you tested this one and this one and this one? You, you believe, are you afraid they'll fail the test? Are you afraid to put them to the task? And God's not ashamed of any of us. And every time you face something you can't control, you don't understand. Every time you face something that throws you sideways, let me tell you what God's doing. God is saying, I trust you enough to pass this test. How beautiful is that? He's never been tried. Satan asked, does Job God fear or does Job fear God for nothing? You have that hedge. And the Lord said, I'll remove the hedge. What good is faith if it can't be tested? How will faith grow if it's not exposed to opposition? Uh, isn't it true that if something is not growing, it's dying? And what is it that Satan can't destroy? It's our faith. And what determines the measure of lifelong success? It is the size. Faith is different sizes. It is the size of our faith. And so here's what Jesus said early on. You're going to be tested. It's going to be called a cross. And anyone who doesn't carry his cross, that's the testing instrument. He said, and follow me. He said, he cannot be my disciple. For in other words, if you're going to follow me, you're going to get my benefits of being a sovereign God in your life. And at the end of life, you're going to get eternal life. He said, hey, I, I want you to know that I'm going to grow you into a strong spiritual giant. And when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what happens. We become a vessel where God has permission to try us and to test us. I read stories on Facebook of several individuals, many in our congregation, who, who are going through. I think of Victoria Hay, who's one of the greatest women I've ever known, who constantly goes through one challenge after another, another PET scan, another this, another that. And every time I see that, I say, God, some way or another, you reach down and you give her a divine miracle. And if you were to talk to her tonight, she would encourage your spirit by her response, you see. We learn that our life is not our own. My life is not my own. Say that with me. My life is not my own. Well, who does it belong to? It belongs to Almighty God. Our will is the will of the Father. It's not my will, not my will. But the flesh stands up and said, oh, you get to enjoy. It is your will. No, it's not my will. It's God's will. We, like Job, become instant instruments for God to hold up to the enemy and say, test this one. I promise you, they will stand. 
I promise you they will not run. I promise you they won't curse and snort and become angry. They will handle it. You can catch them with the chin, with the knuckle, but they won't respond in a negative way because they are covered in the blood. You see, their love is because of who I am, not because what I do or do not for them. Test prove God in you. How many have ever been tested? Raise your hand. Well, I'm not going to ask, was it any fun? No, 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 no. Number two, your response is critically important. How do you respond? How many have ever baited someone? And I'll tell you what I mean. You know how they're going to respond. And you create the circumstance for them to have the privilege to respond. And your whole goal is to see if they'll respond the way you knew that they would. Has anyone ever done that? Has anyone ever thought about that? How many now have that in mind? <laughs> I knew how you were going to respond. I knew it when I said it. I knew it when I did it. I want you to know I calculated how you're going to respond to that situation. Your response is critically important. And may I say something else? God knows exactly how you're going to respond. But you know what I think God's heart is? I'm hoping they'll respond a little differently the next time than they did the first time. I'm hoping they've grown a little bit. I'm hoping they're a little more mature. I'm hoping that they've got their act together and they learned a few things from the past situation that they were in. So Job 121 and said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Very few people have ever faced a test with or without foreknowledge responded positively in the initial stage. What do you mean? All of a sudden, you've been told you're fired. All of a sudden, you've been told your house is on fire. All of a sudden, you've been told you've got a medical challenge that you may not make it through. All of a sudden, the principal may call you to the middle school because one of your children is behaving like their father. And you've got to go check it out. All of a sudden, the teacher calls and says, I don't know what happened to Susie Q, but Susie Q made perfect grades last semester. But this semester, this semester, Susie Q's failing every subject that I'm teaching her. Oh, you didn't get the midterm report? I sent it with Susie Q. Well, Susie Q once again, behaving like her dad, saw that that midterm report never made it in the hands of the authority. Here's how we face in the initial hit. Surprise. 
My flesh responds with my emotional nature. How do I, how do I have to manage this? We respond with shock. We respond with fear. We respond with uncertainty. What do I do now? We respond with anxiety and apprehension. God, this is not supposed to happen. It's not supposed to happen. And when that initial response hits out of the physical part of who we are, your spirit often will kick in and you run to the rock of your salvation. You hope and have consolation about the sovereignty of God. You summon strong courage in your life and peaceful resolution, and you call a friend, and you say, this is what's happening. I need you to join me in prayer by the grace of God. I do not receive this. I'm lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. That healing will come, and we will make it through. Amen? Put your hands together, and let's thank Him for that. You see... In the transition between those two situations is the valley of decision. It's where we ask when we get it and before we call on the Lord, often why is there? We may briefly lose our bearings. Job did in Job 1.20. It said, at this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. He would have been a popular individual if he lived today shaved heads. That was his initial response. God said, it's only a test. Got up and shaved his head, tore his robe. And then the scripture continues. Then, say that with me, then he fell to the ground and worshiped. And that's where God is saying, when the bad news, when the challenge, when the seemingly insurmountable, when the nasty, when the lies, I know your response will be shock and surprise. I know tears. But don't forget. There must come a time that you say, and now it's time for me to worship. Oh, hallelujah. It's time to worship. The enemy's kept us out of our churches for two or three months now. But oh, the beauty of heaven resounds with the angels of praise and God when we come back and we say to the devil and we say to God, we can't stay out all the time. We've got to come back and hear the presence of the Lord. We've got to be around the throne room and give you praise and honor. He worshiped. You know what that means? He humbled himself in the presence of God. Here's what he said. If this is the way it has to be, I'm all in. If this is, this is the path you've signed, assigned to me, then I'm in it. If this is where I'm going to be, I'm picking up, and I'm not going to be discouraged. I'm going to make the best of a very difficult situation. So Job's response, really simple. He made it practical. You know, naked I came from my mother's womb. I came with nothing. I was not responsible for my own experience. I was not responsible for getting here. I had no knowledge or understanding of my beginning. That was mom and dad. But since I came, 
I came to realize that I came in naked, naked I will depart. The Lord gives and the Lord has taken away. God is my beginning and he is my ending. Satan, I want you to know, and everything in between you throw at me, I still go to the rock who is my salvation. The one who stands. Pastor, aren't you upset over COVID-19? Aren't you upset over civil unrest? Are you sure you get upset over all of that? But here's what I know. God, the God of the God of Almighty Holy Spirit, the first and the last, is in control. Amen. Take time to give him praise and call on his name. And we humble ourselves. Jesus steps forward when we hit that valley and he says, if you believe in God's sovereignty, and you choose to exercise your faith, you say, if this is my time, then I'm all in, God. Because no weapon formed against me is going to hurt me, and my safest place is to be in the household of faith. Every time a challenge comes your way, remember that's an expression of God's trust in you, and your response determines the strength of our faith together. We know some people say, well, must be some curse. Rebuke that person. Jesus took the curse of sin away. In Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, if we are the redeemed of the Lord, the curse is gone and we need to say so. Amen. Listen carefully. No man has the power to place a curse on you. Say amen. And if we are disobedient without repentance, here we go, disobedient without repentance, we will reap what we sow. That's the law and not a curse. Here's the law. You put your hand on a concrete sidewalk and take a hammer and slam it down on your fingers. You are going to hurt. That is the law. It will happen. It will happen. No man has the power to place a curse on anyone. Our positive response will create a praise celebration and prove God's power in us as believers. So the message version, Paul writes, Romans 8, 35, with God on our side, like this, how, how can we lose if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, embracing our condition and exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son? Is there anything, anything else he wouldn't gladly and freely do for us? And the answer to that, nothing he wouldn't do. The one who died, finally. You are not the person you once were. That's right. Mike Fidelke, one of our deacons. I, have, I don't remember seeing him in two to three months. I walked in Sunday morning. He's 40 or 50 pounds lighter. I said, he's not the man he once was. It's gone. It's gone. Listen, you cannot successfully come through a challenge and be the same as you were when you went in. I believe that the Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the first. 
I look back on my life. I was talking to a young couple the other day, and they said, we're just broke. Well, what does that mean, broke? I wanted to see if it meant the same thing when I was younger. They said, well, we don't have any money. You don't have a dime? No, we have a dollar and 57 cents in the checkbook. I said, well, you're not broke. Broke for me, you had a negative balance of a dollar 57. You know, had to come from somewhere. The point is this. The point is this. It makes no difference where you're at or what has happened. God brings blessing and you are not the same. And when that couple told me that, I thought, wow, that's how I started. That's how many of us started. But you know what? Thank you, Jesus. It's not that way now. Amen. Here's what I, I told my kids, especially Lori. Sherry came along first. She's the oldest. Tim came along and smacked right in the middle of it. And Lori, of course, followed him by about 11 or 12 months later. There was Lori. And well, I told Lori, she felt like Tim and Sherry got everything. And I said to her, sweetheart, listen, as long as I got money, you got money. You understand? She would say, yes, daddy, at six years old. And I'd give her a dollar. I'd say to her when she was 10 years old, hey, if I got money, you got money, honey. You don't worry about them. And I'd slip her another dollar. The problem is she didn't forget that then. And she still remembers it now. Dad, I still remember at 40 plus years years of age. If you got money, I got money. And I said, that's right, baby. Give me back those dollars I gave you all that time. A little yard talk. Ain't God good? I ran in. I ran into the mountains, the president of Polytech. Um, wonderful individual. He and his wife been to church here several, several times. And, uh, I was outside a restaurant. You couldn't eat inside. And he walked up, his wife walked up and, and said, are you from Lakeland? I said, well, yep. She said, I know who you are. You're Pastor Blackburn from Victory. Yep, I am. I sure am. He said, well, we talked a few minutes, stopped eating food got cold. He said, you know, one thing that we've learned and we've picked up on is your little phrase, yard talk and lawn talk. And we use that all the time. So over in the sanctuaries of intellectualism, they've taken a little homespun idea and use yard talk and lawn talk at the institution. And it started here first. Amen. <laughs> Let me give you some yard talk. The devil is no match for the God in you. Because God is greater. The Lord bless more in the latter part than in the beginning. Satan cannot steal your faith without your permission. He can't steal what, you didn't, what he didn't give you. 
He may attack your body, but it one day will give way to a glorified body. God always restores us if we are faithful and every time we are challenged, we are guaranteed to grow from it if we just remember who God is. Yeah, he had seven sons, had seven sons and he had three daughters. I had a friend of mine that I travel with and preach with early on in my life and getting all the experience I could. He never even dated. He was a great anointed preacher and had, believed, had a divine healing gift. And, and um, the meetings would go late. It was tent evangelism. And he'd be out till he was a night owl. He wanted to sleep till 10 or 11 in the morning. And, but he was a night owl. And he'd come in and he said, you know, one day, he said, I'm going to have me a softball team, a baseball team. I said, well. You know what, this stage in your life, you've got to start dating first if you're going to have a baseball team. He said, one day I will, you just watch. Well, I did watch. That's been a number of years ago. He had nine sons, one right after another. He actually found a woman that was willing to give him nine sons. He had nine sons and then I think two, maybe three daughters. He said to me not long ago, I told you what was going to happen. And every time I think about it, I think, how in the world did he pull that off? Do you know what? When you live by faith, hallelujah, sometimes God will just pour out favor on you that won't make any sense at all. And the three girls... The first one, Jemima, which meant dove and peace. The second, Keiza, which meant cinnamon, sweetness, and anointing oil. The third, Karen Hapak, which meant depth of God's grace. Those three, peace, the dove, the sweet-smelling savor of the oil in the Holy Spirit, and the beautiful touch of God's grace in your life. God said, Job, I'm giving you peace. I'm giving you sweet smelling savor. And I'm giving you grace beyond imagination. And Job lived sumptuously. But he had to go through a grueling period of time. So we look right now at COVID. And we think, well, we look at civil, all of that. Just there it is. What I do what I do when I get home, I look at a little tip of it, and then I turn it to Andy Griffith. <laughs> and I watch reruns. Because there's only so much you can take, and if you take too much, it'll damage your perspective, your spirit. Would you stand, put our hands together, let's give the Lord a clap offering. Would you do that? Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for our online audience. We pray in your name that, God, you would speak to every person. And maybe some are going through breathtaking circumstances. They're going through a rugged, rugged period. Oh, they practiced everything that I've said 
and deliverance hasn't come yet. Favor hasn't seemed to show up. They still are carrying the scars and the stripes of battles in the past or present. They feel depleted and they're thirsty for fresh water. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that you would reach down and give a living well that seems to cover the parched land and brings to pass a divine anointing. And we hear the Lord say, all is well. Hallelujah. And we hear the Holy Spirit give us divine guidance. And now, Lord, if there's sin in our life, in our hearts, and Lord Jesus, we realize that we need to ask for forgiveness. So, Father God, we're going to do that. And we pray that you would pay attention to our hearts as we pray this prayer. And as we pray it and when we've concluded, let that forgiveness be like a fresh scent off the altar of God. In Jesus' name, repeat after me, Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus Christ. I believe in Jesus. I know that he loves me. I know I have misbehaved. I have made mistakes. And I have done things that were poor choices. But right now, I'm bringing them to you as my heavenly Father. And I believe my Savior, Jesus, has forgiven me. So take my heart, take my life, and use it as you choose. And I believe by faith. It is not by might, nor by power, but by the Holy Spirit. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for encouraging me. Thank you for walking with me. Thank you for the victory. In Jesus' name, amen. Put your hands together one more time, and let's sing one more victory chorus. Here we go, everybody. Here we go. Raise the church. Say, for from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve One more time, church. Can we raise it tonight? Say your word. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all.
bless you, God keep you. Have a great evening.